Hi, I'm Grayson Willis. Thank you for joining us today on the podcast for Harrisonburg Nazarene Church. Be sure to subscribe for the latest updates and new episodes to this podcast. You can now search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and TuneIn. Catch us each Sunday at 9 and 10.30 on Facebook Live. Also, this Sunday, we'll have an outdoor service at 9 a.m. We are beginning a brand new series today. And so if you are new or visiting for the first time in a while, welcome, welcome back. But what a great week to engage with us because over these next three weeks, we're in the midst of a series called Burning Questions burning questions. And what is this series about for us? This series really is about asking the big questions, the big questions that we're facing right now, big questions that the world around us is asking. And we believe we are called to engage those around us. So because of that, we're going to take three weeks and ask really important questions that will challenge us a little bit. Uh, Maybe that'll make us a little uncomfortable, but we believe this is important for us as the church in 2020 to ask these questions as we dive deeper and engage the world around us for Christ. So today we begin with the first burning question. Question is this, should the church preach about politics? Should the church preach about politics? Uh, Why this question? Why would we spend a week uh, asking this question? Well, we are experiencing today, I don't know if you've looked around recently, I don't know if you've turned on your news or your news feed, right? But we are experiencing incredible division within our nation, even within churches, right? Uh, many of you have passion for politics and everyone has an opinion. Some of you today, you, you heard this question and you're expecting me maybe to affirm certain things that you think, maybe how you vote. Some of you heard this question and you just wanna log off because quite honestly, Politics to you are just frustrating, and I get you there. So all of us, though, all of us today, this is what I want to do. I want to challenge us. I want to challenge us to do a couple things. First, I want to challenge us to listen. Man, is that ever been more challenging than, you know, we, we want to speak. We want to say some things. We want to talk. We want to share. But today, I just want to challenge us for a minute to listen. I, I've tried to spend a lot of time preparing this message and just listening, just listening. I want to challenge you for a minute to just Exhale, <sighs> exhale, relax for a minute. And let's, let's consider what God's word would wanna to say to us in the year 2020, right where we're living in, in the context in which we live. Because I believe if we're not dead, then we're not done. So, so God has a purpose and a plan for us as the church in these days. And because of that, I think this question is so important. In recent days and weeks, everything has become political, hasn't it? hasn't it? Right? right? Uh, I mean, literally, the decisions that we've had to make as a church, uh, when we worship, when we're going to have worship again inside, how we worship, whether we wear masks, all of that for people has become political, right? Racial injustice happening in our world has become political for many. What I say as your pastor has become for many people political. And truthfully, if I'm being honest with you, just as a person, it's paralyzing paralyzing. It's hard to live authentically. It's hard to lead authentically in this day and age where everything we do is viewed through a political filter. But this is true for us today. The Bible does give us guidance. It does give us guidance on what it means to be good citizens. 
it does give us good guidance on some responsibility that we have to be present and engaged in the world in which we live. In the version Bible app notes that we've set up today for the event, uh, I, I spend a lot of time sharing from Romans uh, 13. We're not going to get into it today, but specifically on this idea of our role as citizens in the world in which we live. It's important and it's critical. The Bible is also clear that we're citizens of heaven first, that our citizenship first and foremost is the kingdom of God. And so today we're going to navigate through scripture and prayerfully attempt to seek the truth that God would have for us as believers in the midst of this question. But before we do that, can we pray together? I think that would be good. Let's pray. Lord, today we desire your heart. We desire to open your word to hear your truth. And so we do pray today, God, that you would give us ears to listen, to hear, that you would open our ears today. God, in a world that has become so politically divided, in our context, many that are watching and listening right now, they feel emotional. They feel passionate about these things, God. And, and I understand that. But today I just ask that we maybe for a minute could put some of those emotions on pause and spend a minute listening, being open to your word and your truth and what it is that you want to say. God, I don't desire today that anyone would have to hear from me. I really, Lord, want to convey your truth, your voice, your word for your church for such a time as this. We believe we're living in the midst of a moment. This is an important moment, God, and we don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss in this moment what is critical, what you're calling us to do as a part of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to begin today in John 17. And John 17 is really important because it's Jesus praying. Now, we know Jesus prayed a lot because the Bible tells us that, but we don't get to hear Jesus pray a lot. We don't get to witness Jesus praying a lot. In John 17, we get to do that. We get to read, we get to hear the words of our Savior who, if you turn the page from John 17, the journey towards the cross begins. And so he is standing in the shadow of the cross, knowing that he will die. He will pay the price for our sins on the cross. And in this moment, he comes before his father and he begins to pray. And in verse 20 and 21 of John 17, uh, Jesus says this. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message. Who is Jesus talking about right now? He's praying not just for his disciples, not just for the believers that he can see around him now. He's praying for future believers. Guess who that is? That's you. That's me. That's who Jesus is praying for. He's spending some of his last moments on this earth, some of these final moments praying to the Father, and he's praying for us. He's praying for us. And this is what he says. My prayer is not just for them. I pray for those who will believe in me through them, through you and me through our message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Unity in the church is so important that Jesus died for it. Jesus died for it. He, he died so that we could have unity, not unity around a denomination, not unity around just cultural ideas. No, no, unity around Christ, unity in Christ. Why is this unity so important? Because it points everyone, that's what it says in verse 21, it points back to a loving God. It points back to our creator. And we actually, this is so important, we don't seek unity for the sake of unity. 
right? Like some of us just don't like conflict. And so we seek unity because it's just like, well, can't we all get along? Can't we, you do your thing, I'll do it. That's not it. No, this is, this is what happens. We seek the Lord, we seek him, and, and we make him the center, him the focus, and he brings unity to the church. Get, get this, man, this, this, as I was preparing, uh, this one line really struck me. We won't spread the gospel in the world in which we live if we don't display the kind of unity that Jesus prayed for. That you and I, we talk about go, we talk about building bridges, we talk about being uh, the light in a dark world. We cannot, we cannot carry his gospel, carry his truth to a world that does not believe if we don't display the kind of unity that Jesus is praying for in John 17. I say that to get us to Matthew 22. Uh, Matthew 22, as we begin to dive into this question, this burning question today, we have the backdrop of Jesus uh, toward the end of his ministry, praying, praying for unity, praying for you and me, the church, even now, the believers that would come after him and those that would believe uh, because of our message, that's who he's praying. And now I want to look at Matthew 22 because in Matthew 22, a showdown is about to occur. And this showdown actually does speak very much to this question that we're asking today about should the church preach about politics? So here's where we're going to be. We're going to be in verse 15, 15 of Matthew 22. We're going to read down through verse 22. Uh, open your word. If you're there in your home, let's open up the word together today. If you've got your Version Bible app, we've got an event set up there. But, but let's lean in today to God's word. I believe this is his word and his truth for us today. Uh, it says this, Then the Pharisees... Uh, went out and laid plans to trap him. Him is Jesus, right? So, so the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap Jesus in his words. They sent their disciples to him. So, so the Pharisees had disciples, right? They sent the Pharisees to him along with the Herodians. We'll talk about who they are in a minute. Teacher, they said, we know that you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? I want to stop for a minute because if you, uh, every time we read scripture, every time we open God's word, we have to understand context. We have to understand the culture, what, what's happening in the time in which um, these words were written, what is really happening beneath the surface, because you may read the scripture and say, why in the world are we reading an encounter between Jesus and Pharisees about an imperial tax? Well, understand a few things that are happening here. First of all, Palestine was under Roman rule, Roman rule. And so the Jewish leaders, what, what are they doing here? They're trying to trap Jesus and pull him into a struggle, a political struggle. You better believe it was, right? Because the Jews didn't like the Romans, but the Romans were the ones uh, ruling and in authority. And so th the Jews resented taxes. We all resent taxes, don't we? If you love taxes, God bless you. I don't understand you, right? But we all resent taxes. But the Jews, they resented taxes for religious reasons because they believed there was one true king, Yahweh. God, he was Lord. So to pay tax to an earthly king was to admit some validity of that kingship. And that was insulting to God. So, so the Jews always resented Roman rule, but especially the Roman tax. So if Jesus, this is the trap right now, right? Because they're asking him. And if Jesus says it's unlawful to pay the tax, they could report him to the Roman government and have him arrested almost immediately. But if he says it is lawful, then he's going to lose credibility with some of his 
Jewish followers and believers. So this is so serious. Notice the Pharisees don't, we see this often in scripture. The Pharisees are kind of cornering Jesus. They're confronting Jesus. They're trying to trick him. They're trying to catch him. We see that all the time. But notice in this story, there's another group. They're called the Herodians. And you may not have heard of them before. We see the Pharisees, we know who they are. They represented Jewish orthodoxy. They were the religious elite. They knew the letter of the law and they practiced it to the, we, we got that. And they supported, right, the one true God. But the Herodians, they were on the other side. They were loyal to Herod. And Herod was the leader who owed his power to Rome. And so these are groups that are, are absolutely opposed. They're on opposite sides of the political spectrum, if you will. But they kind of team up in this moment to tag team, to trap Jesus. And think of what, we pause the story here, we're going to read on in a minute, but think of what Jesus could have said here in response. Again, what is the question? What is the question is, tell us, is it right to pay the tax to Caesar or not? Think of what Jesus could have said. He could have said, don't give them a cent. Your loyalty is to God alone. He could have said, keep your money until there's an emperor whose views you agree with. Right? He could have said that. He could have said, only give to Christian politicians, right? Jesus could have said that. But that's not what he says. Let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. Verse 18. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites. You you hypocrites. Why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he asked them, whose image is this? Whose inscription? Caesar's. They replied. Then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And they heard this. They were amazed and they left him and went away. They left him and went away. Jesus, he he wasn't avoiding the duty of government. What was he avoiding was the trap of politics. Right, right. And here's the difference. Jesus was not going to confuse in this moment the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. And in America, in 2020, that's the issue, isn't it? Isn't that the issue when we confuse the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man? So so what's the question, right? Can the church preach about politics? Well, sure it can. It can because we're called to be not disengaged, not disconnected, not uninvolved in the world in which we live. There's strong biblical support in 1 Timothy 2 that we are to pray for those in authority over us. Paul in Romans 13, which I referenced earlier, he says some really strong words, some uncomfortable words about a government, about a ruling authority that would ultimately make him a martyr. So the Bible is clear that we are, we are to be good citizens in the world in which we live. And I'm grateful today. I'm grateful for men and women who love the Lord, who are faithful to the Lord and are involved in politics and involved in government. We're grateful today for that. But the question is, can the church preach about politics? Sure it can, but that's not the question. That's not the question we ask today. It's not, can the church? The question is, should the church preach about politics? And see, to me, that's a different question because we can. We're called to be citizens. We're called to be engaged. We're called to be involved. We're called to be prayerful and obedient in the world in which we live. But The should the church preach about politics is a different question because that is where believers have to be careful to avoid the trap of political divisions. You see, see, here's the challenge, right? If the church 
if we preach the gospel of the Democratic Party, right, it not only de-emphasizes the gospel of Christ, but we've alienated half of our mission field. The same is true. If we preach the gospel, uh, the Republican gospel, or the Green Party gospel, or the Libertarian gospel, right, we've essentially de-emphasized the gospel of Christ. And we began remembering the words of Jesus, praying that we could have unity, that we could be one. Jesus says, give back to the government what's the government's, but more importantly, give to God what belongs to him. So maybe the question today for us is how much of you, how much of me belongs to God? If Jesus says, give back to Caesar what's Caesar, but give back to God what is God's, then maybe the question for us today is how much of us belongs to God? As hard as it is to grasp, Jesus will not be roped into a political argument. He could have. This was in his day, in his context, the example of a political showdown, and Jesus refused to be roped into it. Frankly, he has the monopoly on truth, and he's not going to fit neatly into the confines of any political viewpoint or party or argument. He wasn't going to allow this moment in his ministry to sow seeds of division, and we should be paying attention to that. We should be mindful of that. This is what it says in Titus Chapter 3, verse 9, it says this, Avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn him a second time, but after that have nothing to do with them. You may be sure such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. These are strong words about somebody who is bent on being divisive, somebody who's bent on creating division and disunity within the body. And the problem of politics in America today for believers is disunity and discord and divide. A little bit of my story, as you know, I've shared before, I did grow up in the church and I grew up knowing the Lord and kind of observing in um, the world in which I live, kind of the political landscape around me. I remember experiencing a lot of people and them speaking quite confidently about their political party and their candidate and how closely it aligned with being a believer. And for a lot of years, I'd kind of listen and nod and smile. And yeah. But then as I grew older, I, I began to maybe talk to other people and build other relationships, and I began to understand that there were other believers that were just as passionate, whose political ideologies didn't line up with the people over here that I also knew that loved Jesus. And quite honestly, it confused me, even as a teenager, that I've even, uh, this, I was thinking about this story this week, I've attended church before, where the pastor at the front of the stage, he, he said this, he said, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, but I'm going to tell you who Jesus would vote for. Now, I looked, I remember looking around the room that day, and there were some people that were like really excited about that, you know. But I also remember looking around the room that day and seeing some anxiety in people's hearts, seeing some people that immediately felt like, oh, I'm not, I'm not sure I'll be welcome here. What if I don't vote the way, the right way? Am I still welcome here at the church? Am I still welcome in the kingdom of God? There was confusion that day in their hearts, and honestly, a little bit of confusion that day in my heart. What, how can the church be passionate 
we should be passionate, but still pursue unity in the body. The more I heard and the more confusion I felt, uh, I, I began to talk to other people who were passionate about their faith and would disagree on their um, ideologies and their political views. And over the years, this just became more and more complicated in my mind. So, so let me tell you today what I believe. I, I know there are people watching today that do not agree politically. You love Jesus. You read this word faithfully and your political views are, are not going to be in alignment. I, I know that, that there are people watching that this can be an incredibly divisive topic. So can, can I center us back on according to what Jesus models for us? According to how Jesus prayed for us as believers? Can I bring us back to this truth? I, this is how I want to say it. That politics preached divides, but Christ preached unifies. I'm going to say that again. I'm going to say that again. That politics preached divides, but Christ preached unifies. Jesus is not interested in preaching the gospel of a political party. He's not. That's not what he came to die for. I won't. I won't preach against Democrats. I'm not going to preach against Republicans, but listen what I will do. I will preach. I will preach against anything that wants to divide us as a church or weaken our resolve to worship our Lord and Savior, to live obediently for him, to walk in obedience daily with him. I will preach against those things because in these days, in a world that has never been more divided, what did I begin saying? That the only way we as a church are going to make a difference in the world is by having the unity that Jesus prayed for. And so that's why, that's why I believe that Christ preached unifies. We find our unity. We will not find our unity at the polls. We will not find our unity according to, to what you feel about different political agendas. We will not find our unity there, but we will find our unity at the foot of the cross, at the feet of our Lord and Savior who died for us. Can I just close today with, with three very practical challenges in, in a message that is challenging? In a message that is challenging, can I just close with three very practical things that as I prayed for you, as I prayed for us, as I was really trying to seek the Lord through his word and find out what is the right answer to this question for us, can I offer just three suggestions? First is this, let's remember, let's remember who the enemy is. Let's remember who the enemy is. The enemy is not a political party. The enemy today is not a political interest group. The enemy is not whatever news source opposes your preferred news source. That is not the enemy. The enemy is not even a person, right? We know according to the word Ephesians chapter 6 that our battle is not against flesh and blood. That is not the enemy. And there is an enemy of your soul. There is an enemy of your soul that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And he rejoices in times like these, especially when the church will allow itself to become divided. Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Be a citizen. Do your duty. Respond obediently, but let's give to God what is God. While we're busy fighting amongst ourselves, the enemy wins every time. Let's remember, church, who the enemy is today. Second, let's remember whose kingdom we belong to. Let's remember that, that we are citizens not of this world, not of this kingdom. Uh, part of my greatest concern 
in this idea of disunity within the church is even this concern of what I would call idolatry. Idolatry. What is idolatry? Idolatry is anything that we turn to in place of God. Idolatry is any time that our affections, right? Jesus said, what is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God. That's affection, right? That we would turn our affections towards him and love your neighbor as yourself. And any time, any time there's something that competes with that affection that we have for God, it becomes an idol. And church, I'm concerned for us in these days that we would allow politics to become an idol. But let's remember the kingdom to which we belong. Look, I'm an American. <laughs> I'm an American. I am so grateful for my freedom. I was reflecting today on some great friends that I've had, some great mentors of my life that have fought to ensure that I have freedom today. And I, I want you to know that matters to me. That's not lost on me. I'm grateful for those that have sacrificed and served and persevered so that I can have the freedom that I have today. But I want to let you know, church, that I am a Christian first. That I belong to his kingdom first. That this world is ultimately not my home. I'm an ambassador. We just talked about that a couple weeks ago. I'm an ambassador into a world in which it is not my home. I'm an ambassador representing his kingdom. This is not my permanent residency. So I, I'm not going to allow anything else in my life to take lordship over Christ. Uh, he is Lord. Today, the question, how much of you belongs to God Question, remember, let's remember whose kingdom we belong to. Finally, finally, just very practically, can I challenge us to remember what we're for today? Can I just challenge us? Let's remember what we're for. What are we for? Listen, it's so easy to talk about what we're against. And there are times as believers we need to take a stand. So I, I'm not diminishing that. That's biblical and I understand it. But can I just challenge us today as a church? Let's consider for a minute, what, what are we for we're for love, the love of Jesus, right? That we are for healing, we are for reconciliation, we are for peace, and we are for grace. That when there's an argument online, you don't have to engage, right? <laughs> that you don't have to spread the hate. You don't have to be the negative voice. You don't have to win the Twitter debate, right? Because what are we for? We are for the love of Jesus. Remember, this is what Jesus says, by this. All people will know that you're my disciples. And then look at what he said. Well, maybe we should look at what he didn't say. Jesus didn't say, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples by your posts on Facebook. <laughs> by this, all men will know your disciples, how you win the political argument, right? That's not what Jesus said. What did he say? By this, all men will know that you're my disciples by how you love one another. Listen, we have an opportunity, church. We have an opportunity in the year 2020 to model what unity in Christ looks like. We have the opportunity to model what love, not just froofy kind of love based on feelings, but, but rooted in Christ. We have the opportunity to model what that love looks like. And I believe that that is, uh, what does that look like? It's beautiful. I believe it's contagious. I believe a world around us looks at that and it looks weird to them, but they want to know more about a love like that. They want to know more about how a unity like that can be possible. Whatever influence I have, I'm going to use it to lift up Jesus. I'm going to use it to tell people what I'm for. 
who I'm for, that, that Jesus is for lost and broken people. Jesus is for people that are down and out, that feel unwelcome. That that, and so I'm going to use whatever I can to show a lost and dying world that, that I have a king, and he has a kingdom, and I belong to him. And his love compels me to serve, and it compels me to listen, and it compels me not to give in to the traps of division today. How much of you belongs to God. We're going to close uh, the service this morning. And man, I promised that these would be challenging questions. And I think I delivered on my promise, didn't I? And, and so it would be really easy to hit end on the message. And, and maybe you walk away grumbling a little bit. Maybe you're a little bit frustrated that the, the things I said didn't necessarily, have, I get all that because, right, we're, we're talking today about something that can create a lot of division. And so today I want to hit pause on all that for a minute. And I want to invite us, church, to spend a moment praying, spend a moment reflecting, to spend a moment inviting the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Think about that title for a minute. What does that mean? He's the King above all other kings. He's the Lord above all other lords, right? I want to spend a minute reminding myself, giving us space to remind ourselves that we're a part of his kingdom and we worship him and we desire to see unity and we can't we can't produce that on our own it's going to take his holy spirit working in the church but we desire to see that come to pass and we desire that that would be a witness to the world around us of what christ can do as we close there's a song that has been on my heart it's not a new song i like to sing okay i like to sing in the shower you know whatever but so i was getting out of the shower today and i just had a song on my heart i was praying for you I was praying for this hard word that I was going to share today. I was praying that the seed would fall on good soil, that we would just have ears to hear, to hear truth, to be obedient, to be surrendered enough to what God would want to do in us and through us as the church. And this song just came into my head. And so it's not a new song. It's a song that maybe you don't know it and that's okay, but maybe it's a song uh, that you do know. The words, I'm not going to sing it yet. I might sing it in a minute, but the words are this. I think this would be good words for us today as we prepare to close. The words are this, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Man, there's some really important things happening in our world today. There's things happening in our world that matter. They matter to the Lord, they should matter to us. There's things that we need to respond to and be obedient to but more than anything, you know what I want to take my cue from in these days? I want to turn my eyes upon Jesus. I want to look, I want to look him in the face. And he promises, not just a song, right? His word promises that when he's lifted up, he'll draw people to himself. And so today, I, I want to turn my eyes on Jesus. I want to look in his face, right? And I, I just want the things of this world, the things that, that, Maybe they're important, but maybe they're not the most important thing today. Just pray that they could become dimmer in my life. I pray often for friends, for, for our staff, and, and I say it this way. I pray that his voice is the loudest voice you hear. And so today, I, I pray that his face is the brightest face you see. So I'm going to try to sing this. I have no idea how it'll go. There's no band up here with me. So, so you can just hit mute if it goes really bad. But maybe today you know this with me. And maybe today, this simple four lines of a song could be a testimony of our heart. A heart that says, God, this is hard. 
God, we do live in a world that is increasingly divided. And God, I don't always understand what it means to be a good citizen. And, but, but, but I know today that I belong to you. And I know that my citizenship is in heaven. And I am a part of your kingdom. And so today, I'm just going to sing these words as a testimony of my heart that I want to turn my eyes upon Jesus. Man, let's sing it. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's been a long time since I've sung that song, but maybe the DNA of those words, maybe that melody kind of get into your system. <laughs> somewhere where you are this week, somewhere where you go, those words will come back to your mind and your heart and your hum a tune, and you'll begin to say, Lord, help me turn my eyes upon you. Jesus, we need your help today. And you've promised, you've promised your spirit to help us. We are not alone in these days. God, we want to reflect the unity that Jesus died for today. So today, may we be your church. May we be residents of your kingdom. And may a lost and broken and confused world be able to look to us as the church in the unity that you bring and say, man, I want to be a part of that. God, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again so much for listening today. Email us at info at for any questions about our church. As soon as you're finished listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.